everyone, and thanks for tuning in to TGMR, the galleries at Moore Radio, a public art talk radio station broadcasting from the Moore College of Art and Design. Listen live, search the archive of past broadcasts, and find out how you can get on the air at thegalleriesatmore.org. My name is Matt Kalaski, and I am very excited to be joined in the studio today with uh, Charlie McGeehan. Sam Reed and Lee Sumter. Uh, together this past spring, they were the driving force behind the Survival Guide for the Future, which was a project that the uh, galleries at Moore here undertook with the U School High School. I'm just going to read the uh, little blurb we have about the project just so everyone gets filled in. Um, the Survival Guide for the Future was an emergency preparedness Afrofuturist and post-apocalyptic inspired curriculum designed by teaching artist Lee Sumter and conducted at the U School High School in collaboration with the galleries at Moore College of Art and Design. <laughs> the project is part of an ongoing partnership between the galleries at Moore and the U School called the Collaborative Lab, which investigates how can a college art gallery and a public high school work together to reimagine both contemporary art and education. So for this project during the spring of 2018, students learned about real-world emergency preparedness while examining themes in post-apocalyptic and Afrofuturist media, such as Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and the 2018 film Black Panther. The goal of this project was to give students a multimedia platform to think, reflect, and express on their current lives by imagining a vibrant and teen-centric Philadelphia of the future. This project culminated in the creation of a zine publication that collected works created by students in response to this curriculum. Uh, these included things like a uh, survivalist go-bag infographics, short fiction journal entries written by students, uh, these all from characters' perspective living in Philadelphia 2049. Uh, there also included character cards that illustrated and described specific post-apocalyptic short stories and some fashion designs created and modeled by U-School students. This whole project will be featured in an exhibition at, here at the Galleries at Moore, which opens this Friday, uh, which, and we'll have a reception from 5 to 8 p.m., uh, again, that's this Friday, August 4th, 5 to 8 p.m. The exhibition will include copies of the final zine alongside some amazing images taken by photographer and more alumna uh, Naomi uh, Joven, uh, who was there for the photo shoot and at the U School this semester. Um, but to talk more about this project, uh, I have uh, Charlie, Sam, and Lee here together. Thank you all for coming. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having us. Thank you. Okay, so um, Lee, you were the teaching artist for this project. I know you do a lot of different things. My first question for you is, how did this project with the U School fit into the your larger practice as an artist and some of the other projects you have going on right now? Sure. Um, it definitely fit. It aligned so well because, um, as you know, I've been doing work in emergency preparedness and Afrofuturism for some time. Um, I actually wrote my dissertation uh, back in 2014. It was called Apocalyptic Soul, Seeing Through Image in the Age of End Time. And it was all about um, how the media that we see, the games that we play, um, the art that we create and are impacted by, you know, shape how we see the world. And sometimes that can be... Um, a dark vision of the future, right? A lot of times that's what apocalyptic imagery is all about. So what I did with the Escape Artist Initiative, which is um, a project that I started 
back in I think it was like 2011. Um, it's based here in Philly. It's now part of the Culture Trust. We just joined the Culture Trust last year, but that project is kind of the summary of the art of survival and my practice and it's a way that I engage with communities to kind of raise awareness about these existential threats that we deal with every day but also try to incorporate imagination and the arts and media and mythology um, to not only inspire folks but help them get ready for the future. That's great. Uh, off of that I want to hear um, Charlie and Sam you're both humanities teachers yeah, yeah, yeah. at the U school. How did you, um, how did this project um, key in with some of the things that you try to incorporate into your humanities curriculum? I know uh, Lee just talked about creativity, art, imagining, visioning. How do those things play into what you try to bring to uh, your students? Yeah, I know Charlie will talk more about this, but at the U School, we really try to incorporate like a design approach to, to our curriculum development. And one of the anchors or pillars is around like connected learning. And so with connected learning, we're connecting to students' natural interests. Then we're also uh, providing them opportunities to do this peer work, peer support. And then we're also using technology. And like, as, as you heard, uh, Lee, you know, with her, bringing her expertise. I remember our first day, she came in and she with the students and she talked about the fact that she had this awesome background and she dropped like her dissertation. <laughs> she dropped her dissertation and the students like, wow, like man, a study in this whole arena. And they were like, at the, after that, after that, she had them sold. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a done deal. Like we were going in the deep dive. Yeah, yeah, I also think um, in this year's course, we were uh, teaching African-American history. We, we focus on a different type of history each year and, and combine it with English in our course. Uh, and Reed and I and our humanities colleagues had, had been having conversations about doing a unit on Afrofuturism even before we started this project. So it was amazing to have Lee, uh, someone who has so much both knowledge and experience, but also work in the field to come in and work with our students. Uh, and I think the work that was produced through that project was far better based on this partnership than it would have been with just us. Um, and I also think like uh, having students look towards the future in a history class is, is a pretty unique experience. Um, and I think students found it really engaging and I think it really enriches our study of history um, when we when we let the, the, the subject and the curriculum live in that way and expand uh, in that way towards the future. Um, which was awesome, and, and the final thing is that I think we have a lot of students who are interested in different types of, um, you know, different types of comics and science fiction, um, anime, so it was exciting uh, for, I think, a lot of our students to be able to bring those skills into the course and into the curriculum and into the zine um, and have a new way to show their work publicly. You two, can you also maybe talk about how, um, I know you're a humanities teachers, but a lot of times, uh, you know, the product of humanities class or any other class is just, um, you know, writing or uh, reports or the, the, the output seems like very static. How do these, when you give students the chance to like process or um, interpret what they're studying through different sort of media, like either drawing or illustrating or even the fashion component, what does that do for the students? Yeah, yeah. First, just to say a little bit about the U School in terms of like this whole ethos around the makers ethos. Like we have labs where we have a uh, 
highlight lab, which is like a media-centric space, and we have an organized lab, which is like a human campaign space. So students are already like immersed in like innovating and creating. And the thing that we wanted to do in humanities is just not make it insular, where we're just like reading. Although my theme, my tag is like we're we're teaching students to rewrite and make sense of the world. But the making part, the making making sense, is also like doing opportunities to do like real tangible products. And again, that comes back to like that's the things that are going to drive kids. Those those are things kids are interested in. So uh, we we really try to bring bring in and enliven this this maker's ethos that we already have at our school. Yeah, and I think whether it's it's the visual arts or the creative writing like we do in humanities class or like this um, the fashion work that is done, I think it, it just allows students to bring new skills, number one. And number two, um, I think the other, the other really important thing that comes from that is that uh, it's really important for students to be able to share their work publicly uh, with a broader, broader than just the classroom or just the school. And that's something that we also really believe in in the U school. Um, so... It, this was an exciting, uh, with a zine, this was a really exciting new platform for students to, to share their work with a broader community. And I think it, 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 it levels up the work that they're producing and it, it makes them realize the significance of the work and the significance of their contribution to it. Uh, and I think, you know, it was cool. We had Lee come in and visit our classes and, and do some activities with the students. And then we had a core group who sort of served as the editors. Uh, and I think that in addition to being the creators of the work, I think, um, it was another valuable experience to add for some students to have have a chance to edit and sort of pull together and curate work, which isn't isn't something that we often do in school, but I think is a really important and, and valuable skill um, that this project was able to give students. Um, Lee, like you said, this like sort of uh, field of research, like emergency preparedness and um, post-apocalyptic media, is sort of like your wheelhouse. Things, something you've been researching invest, and investing in a long time. Uh, my question is, when you were working with these uh, teenagers at this high school, was there any like surprises or surprising perspectives or ideas that you hadn't necessarily encountered before? Or what were some of the things that maybe these students brought new to this field that you've spent so much time in? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I think the generation, right? High school students, they watch a lot of television, movies, they consume a lot of media. And so they are probably way hipper, you know, at, to, to the information than a lot of adults, you know, my age, you know. And so it was really an easy sell for them. You know, um, as Sam was saying, it's like I came in and I presented it first. Um, and I'm, I think they really were engaged from the beginning because for one, you know, as, as Charlie was saying too, Afrofuturism is something that was already trending, right? With Black Panther, um, they weren't familiar with Parable of the Sower, you know, which was great to introduce them to that, but they were very uh, familiar with the themes of the novel already, you know? So the idea of the apocalyptic is something that is very much, um, kind of already ingrained, unfortunately, into the psyches of young people today because just of the way the world is. And again, that media consumption. So what I was really um, excited about and surprised by was that, you know, when it came down even to like certain protocol and what to do, because I should back up and say that I have been 
thinking about this for a long time, not necessarily um, studying on emergency prep, because my dissertation was more of a theoretical kind of uh, humanities approach. But in terms of like when you study something for like seven years, like I did, you get to a point where you got to put theory into practice and it's scary stuff. So you're like, hey, look, I don't want to just write about this or learn about it. I want to be prepared. And so when I started doing that, it was very DIY, very do it yourself. And so um, that's my approach to my work in terms of my practice is about community engagement. And I think that the kids are very DIY too. The kids will do it their own way. They find their own way to put a spin on it. And so it was great to see, like, for example, the Go Bag project and the fact that, you know, we kind of told them what they could put into it. You know, uh, Charlie and Sam did a great job of kind of introducing them to that unit. And then, you know, I showed my Go Bag and stuff. But when they came with their own Go Bags, they they thought of so many different things that I wouldn't have thought to put in it. And that's the, that was the whole point, for them to use their imaginations in terms of survival survival on like mind, body and spirit as well, not just the physical, but thinking about ways that we might become our own heroes or heroines in this kind of survival story. Yeah. And uh, Sam and Charlie, were there any surprises for you in this material? Because I know it's like, like Lee said, it, it can be sort of thinking about the, I mean, if you say it out loud, thinking about the end of the world can be kind of scary, right? And can be sometimes heavy in that. Um, how did you, you know, perceive how your students would respond to it and how they actually responded to it. Were there surprises there? Were there pleasant surprises? What what did you expect to happen and what uh, actually did happen? Uh, I think that, you know, I loved Parable of the Sower when I read it and thought it was a perfect text for us to read uh, in this unit. I thought that it was going to be more work than it was to get students engaged with it. Um, students were very, very taken by it more taken by it than most texts that we've read in school or that I've ever taught before. So it's definitely something that, you know, teaching it and this experience of teaching that text um, has convinced me that I'd like to teach the full thing in the future because we only taught excerpts. But it was interesting that that we, we got a few copies and it was interesting that, that the students who requested them, some of them were the same students that you would expect, the ones who normally, who are big readers and like eat this type of stuff up. But there were some other students who, who wanted copies and took it home who aren't nece don't necessarily see themselves as big readers or huge science fiction fans, but they were really taken by you know, this, this vision of this, this apocalyptic vision of the world that, that doesn't seem so foreign to the world right now. Um, and so I, I think, you know, that was exciting how, how taken students were by the text. And then I think how that applied to their own work. Um, I think we saw a lot of variations on themes in Parable of the Soul. I mean, I think like, you know, in, 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 in our society today, we, we hear a lot about walls and I think walls like literal, literal walls and also like more metaphorical walls. But um, I think there was a lot of students that played with walls in their piece and like the way that walls would go up in Philadelphia and where the walls would be and how they would look and, but how people would like sort of fight back against the walls. So I, I think that like the way that students played with those themes from parable and, and took them in vastly different directions than I would have expected was really exciting to me. Yeah, so one, one interesting thing that, that evolved out of the class, like looking at dystopia, there, there was some pushback with some students in terms of looking at dystopia uh, fiction because they were like, I don't have to look at this fiction dystopia because like right here in Philadelphia right now, I don't even need to go 40 years in the future. Like right here, there's like crazy stuff going on, right? And so 
it was really interesting to, to see like the tension around like dystopia versus like reality. And then when kids actually started crafting um, their their narratives, it was amazing. Although Charlie students were teaching in a separate class and my students, like some of the similarities in the stories or the the parallels of the stories um, were like super, super amazing. Where like, for example, it's one student that created a future world where it was like a reverse, you know, there was reverse racism going on and like, and reverse uh, police discrimination going on. It was like real interesting to see like kids creating these different narratives. Um, and Charlie could speak about, was one of his students created a, a, crafted a piece where it was like about the drug. How did they uh, handle the drug? Yeah, I mean, there, there, was a, there was a student who had like, just like generated this idea of like robot, drug dealers and then like the fact that then the that the that the drug the 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 robots had had taken the jobs from the people who had been dealing drugs and then that the robots had developed new drugs that were trying to uh, essentially control the human population and and take over um so it was a really a really fascinating i think play on both like futuristic uh thinking but also like now like today and, and the effects of drugs. And I think it was a, it was a very complex and interesting play that I think also the other thing that I would add on that piece was that it, it, um, it also, that, that, that grew and evolved in collaboration with other students. Like I think th that student was like working and talking with other students about the idea and they were contributing. So I think this was a very collaborative project in our classroom uh, where sometimes based on our school model, we do pretty individual stuff. So I think that that, that was the other piece is that like these ideas really like generated in groups and in collaboration. And that example, I think, gets to the, like, the tension that I was feeling with some of our students when they were kind of pushing back. And Lee can speak about that, like how that felt, where kids were kind of pushing back on the dystopic a little bit, if you recall. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, when I see the pushback for dystopia or just the apocalyptic reality is a lot of times because people don't want to face the truth, you know? Um, and... That's the great thing. I mean, we got to give props to Octavia Butler, who wrote Parable of the Sower, because she had such a, you know, lucid vision. You know, she was so um, particular about how she painted this world, and that's why it felt so real to us. And her world's particularly Parable of the Sower, because she's a prolific writer. She was, you know, she's no longer with us. But one of the things that she did leave was just such a library of science fiction and speculative fiction. But particularly the Parable series is so great, because for me, it resonated more than most of her writings, because it was about the near future. And was about things that we could imagine could totally happen today, whether it was the disease or the drugs or the violence or the uh, exclusion with the walls going up. And even so much as that, you know, for me, I was also covering this. My parallel was that I was working on this um, at Moore because I'm an adjunct professor here. I was teaching a world building and Afrofuturism class. And so we focused on Parable of the Sower as our core reading. And we also worked on a zine, right? But one of the things of our students like trying to do the research, they were re reading articles about Octavia. And one of the interesting points was that she actually prophesized this um, 
I guess, campaign for making America great again and this new president that would come to power. So it's so interesting how she was just so right on the money with her her visioning. And um, I think that's what makes it so scary. People want to push back because we don't really want to face the truth. But I think that's the whole thing about the other activities that we incorporated into the curriculum, which we're actually taking action, which is creating a go bag, knowing what to do, that if the stuff hits the fan, you know, you're feeling prepared, you know. Um, I think one thing, too, that you mentioned about the pushback was that um, it's it's kind of problematic, I think, with weapons. I mean, that comes up a lot. I think it's, it's not um, something that the kids are not familiar with. But that was something I was trying to maybe push back a little bit on in the sense of not trying to have them go directly towards, like, when they think about defending themselves, they're thinking about building this arsenal, you know, of weapons, which is something that, um, you know, I noticed that some of the kids themselves were pushing back against, you know, because they were creating other weapons using their imagination, which is a tool that they would put like a survival tool they would create which is a nice way to solve problems because that's again what design thinking is all about like how do we solve problems without creating new ones you know and this uh, that, that's all really that's really good to hear and I want to go back to something you said Sam about uh, or Charlie about a collaboration being a heart of a part of this project and maybe this will be the last thing we'll talk about because I want to really hear because this project that we do with the U school it's based on educators uh, collaborating with teaching artists. And I want to hear from all of you about this. Like, what, how does this sort of uh, collaboration between educators and artists, like, how does this inform, uh, Charlie and Sam, how does this inform your work with your students? And then, uh, Lee, how does this inform your work as an artist? First, like, just to say, like, art is, like, essential. And um, unfortunately, it's been like pulled back to a certain degree in, in our schools, under-resourced schools. And so the opportunity to like collaborate with, art, with artists, teaching artists uh, to do amazing projects has been something that like I thrive on and I've done in the past. So I just I, like I know the value of it. And what, what it actually does is it creates a model because when students see that Teachers have collaborated. We've collaboratively designed the unit, and we've collaborated with teaching artists to bring this unit into into action. And now we're fostering that same kind of collaboration among students. And so I think it, it just has like a rippling effect. Yeah, and I think also like it it takes our work to the next level. I don't I don't think we could have done a project like this without Lee's input and presence in the process. Like our, it, it sort of took, I think it was one of our, our strongest units of the year. And I think that the collaboration was the reason behind that. Uh, and I also think for students to have someone who works in the arts come into the classroom is really important. Uh, and I think that like having Lee come in and having students hear about the work that she does and how she does it, I think is a cool model for students to have of like how you can be an artist in the world and how it can be your work uh, and how it can be important work. And so I think that that's a really, was a really valuable thing to see students' connections to Lee's work and like seeing Lee as a model of a way that they could be in the world in the future and like the way that they can take their work forward. Yeah, well, this experience was great for me to work with you all and just the youth school in general. But I think that for me, you know, my background's in art education and a lot of my work as an artist is very didactic. I'm, I'm trying to send a message or, you know, have some sort of community learning experience. 
But to actually, again, be back in the classroom, in a high school classroom, which I'm not unfamiliar with, you know, and to see, first of all, these two guys, they're very dedicated teachers. You know what I mean? And I think that the students, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, they should know that they're super lucky, you know, to have teachers that are really dedicated to making sure the arts find their way back into the curriculum, that it's integrated, that it's interdisciplinary, that it's project-based, and there's something that they have to show for it in the end. But just the fact that, like, I mean, I wish I was going to school. Well, no, I don't. I don't wish, but I'm saying it would be nice to um, have experienced this. You know what I mean? Like learning about Afrofuturism, learning about, you know, history and the future, all, you know, in- incorporating the arts and actually practical survival skills. Like, you know, we had a lot of planning involved. We, we met a lot of times, you know, prior to the unit actually getting launched and to see how much, you know, effort that high school teachers, particularly at the U school, these two guys putting into this unit is really why, you know, in my mind, such a success, you know what I mean? Because it takes planning. And for me, I feel that as an artist, I'm learning because I've, I've been on both sides that, you know, it's great for everyone to be able to commit to the planning because a lot of times, you know, collaborations don't always happen that way in the arts, you know, um, and, and no shade against artists, but I know that, you know, they don't always have the time, you know, to sit down and do the planning. But the fact that we were able to do that um, and we were sharing like the lesson plans and we could give feedback on that, it really was great. And I, and for me, I learned that, you know, there there's a lot of room for me to do this in other high schools, you know, because a lot of times I do it at a museum or a gallery space or a community art center space. But I think that in, in traditional high school settings, uh, it's, it's definitely something that works, you know? So I was glad to see that. I thought we did a great job, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and wait, wait, Matt, we got We couldn't have done it without Matt. I mean, let's be clear. Yeah. Because you were a big part of this. I mean, project managers are, huge um, for these type of collaborations to go smoothly and connecting all the dots and making sure that we were all like on the same page. I mean, I mean I'm not just saying that because you're yeah. sitting in front of me, <laughs> but it's so true. Uh, yeah, and I also think that like this collaboration has has grown and I think the the types of projects that we've produced through both because I've been I've been working on projects with Matt for four years now. Uh, since I was at Kensington Kappa, so it's been it's been a long sort of growth of of the work together, and I think I think the work has deepened and evolved um, in a way that that has both enriched it for our students and and produced um, increasingly high quality work. So yeah, because our other colleague Maggie Stevens, um, she's she's not here, but I want to give her a shout out as well because uh, the fashion component of this work yes. was supported and led by her. But one of the biggest leadership roles she did was like kind of get out of kids way and like let them lead each other and support just provide be a facilitator like because th- literally the fashion uh group was like a really it wasn't done during a regular classroom they were going like when their lunchtime to develop the fashion work right and they were self-guiding self-directed like this whole real real connected learning um approach but Maggie was the facilitator um, for for that, and so I, I just wanted to. And that made the zine out. pop. I mean, those images were outstanding mm-hmm. that the students created. And if I could just add one more point about you know what Sam was saying to the idea of when we were in that initial large group when I presented in front of the large class, you know when we actually worked with the smaller editing team and the team that was curating uh, the zine content and everything, you know, like you said, when we kind of got out of their way and allowed them to just take the lead and do their thing and, and be 
become leaders in, you know, pulling this project together, they just started to shine, like, and they just were communicating with one another, you know, they were asking questions, they were engaged, like, they wanted to get it right, you know, and they were, they were diligent, you know, it was just so great to see them, you know, take charge and really dive in and come out on the other side with this final product that they were all proud of. And then at the event at Amalgam, shout out to Amalgam uh, Coffee and Comics, like, the fact that, they also got the experience of presenting their work to the public and they did that um, in such a beautiful way. And I think it was just a great moment for everybody to come together and celebrate that. Yeah. I think overall this project uh, had a lot of components that made it a very successful and worked on a lot of different gears and levels uh, that facilitated a lot of different thinking and exposure uh, for these students. If you're listening to this and your interest has been piqued, <laughs> I want to invite you all to come out again. Uh, this exhibition that will be up here at the Moore College of Art and Design is going to feature uh, some of these amazing fashion designs photographed by the also amazing Naomi Ojovin, who was the great photographer for this project. You're going to see uh, those fashion photographs, and you'll also be able to check out the final product zine itself. Um, I should also say this, this project is not was, would not be possible without the support of the PCCY's Picasso Project Grant, which if you don't know about it, go check it out, PCCY Picasso Project Grant, and also a grant from the C Christian R. and Mary F. Lindbach Foundation. Lee, Sam, Charlie, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, and we'll see you in the fall. Thanks, Thanks a lot. for having us. Thank you. Thank you.